1: Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, Cultural Engagement Manager at the Hendricks Center, and our topic today is having difficult conversations about race and multiculturalism, and specifically taking a look at diverse perspectives on these conversations. This podcast is a second uh, part of a conversation that we began uh, with a previous episode where we took a look at um, perspectives from the Hendricks Center, um, talking mostly about perspectives from our white brothers and sisters on the topic of race and multiculturalism. I was on the show too, so I got to be kind of the bridge between that uh, conversation and this one, so we encourage you to take a look at that conversation as well. Well, today we have three guests in studio to talk about diverse perspectives on these difficult conversations. Our first guest in studio is Elijah Misigaro. He's actually somebody you see uh, here in front of the camera, but normally <laughs> he's behind the camera um, in the control room helping um, as the senior video producer here at uh, DTS. Mm-hmm. And he's also the co host of a show called We Talk Different. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And the second uh, guest we have here on the show is Sam. Sam Lee is a doctoral student in theology. Is that correct? Yes. And welcome to the show. Thank you. We also have Nancy Fraser, who is also a doctoral student at DTS studying theology as well. That's right. Welcome to the show. Thanks. So I want to just uh, begin to introduce uh, ourselves to the audience because you guys have been involved in our conversations at the Hendricks Center around these initiatives, and um, but a lot of people haven't seen you and heard from your uh, heard you and your story so why don't you share a little bit about your background we'll start with you nancy
2: Sure. Well, I, um, I was born in Mexico um, to a Mexican father and a white American mother. And I grew up in Mexico. I lived there. We, we moved to the United States um, when I turned seven, but we moved to Laredo, Texas, which is right on the border. Mm. Um, and it was, at the time, the population was about 98% Hispanic. And my church uh, experience has been predominantly in a first-generation Mexican immigrant context. Mm. So, um, yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thank you for mm-hmm. giving us that background,
3: Elijah. Um, well, I was born in Tanzania. Um, both my parents are, are Tanzanian. Um, came here to the States or, around the age of four, four and a half. Um, grew up a little south of Chicago. Um, and yeah, it was uh, maybe a similar context to Nancy in the sense of uh, it was a very uh, first generation church, a primarily African, East mm-hmm. African church, um, and grew up in uh a very African-American area of the city. Um, So it was a lot of different cultures being mixed all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's my background. Awesome. Thanks. Sam?
4: Yeah. So I actually was born here in Dallas. My mom and dad were originally from Taiwan, and they moved here uh, to Texas to do graduate school. Mm -hmm. So I have one older sister. Both of us were born here. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we were in elementary school, my dad got his job, he got transferred back to Taiwan. So I lived there for three years during elementary school. And then we moved back to texas so besides for three years i've actually lived here in the states my whole life so i'm actually what uh, people call an ABC, mm-hmm. which stands for American-born Chinese. Okay. So, but uh, mixed uh, culture. Uh, I go to a Chinese church here, just north of Dallas in Plano, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, first and just second generation Chinese Christians so kind of a mixture. But that's kind of the background okay. that I come from. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I like to call myself one point five gen. One
4: point five <laughs> gen. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: <laughs> so there's we, we hear a lot of these first generation and second generation kind of conversations. I was born in Evanston, but I grew up in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. My mom was doing her Ph.D. in social psychology um, at Northwestern. So I was born there in Illinois, but grew up in the Philippines and then moved to uh, Southern California as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, spent a couple of years in Maryland when I was a kid, but mostly grew up in the Philippines. So I'm hearing these first and second generation kinds of uh, elements in our stories and also the whole immigrant kind of thing as well so talk a little bit about what ethnic diversity looks like within your own community because there's there's diversity within our within our communities too
2: yeah so um So I I think that, especially in Texas, I think when people think about Hispanics, they automatically think Mexican. And and maybe there's uh, a degree of fairness to that with being so close to the Mexican border. But I think part of the diversity is really cultural diversity, right? So Hispanics fall under, you know, any country that with a uh, Spanish-speaking country, right? So it's more than just Mexican. And then there's also racial diversity across Hispanics. So um, you'll have people that have a lot of European background that will look very fair, blonde hair, blue eyes, and then you'll have people who, Kind of have the indigenous uh, background, so like someone like my father who is um, darker skin, and then you have uh, people of African descent, and it can just really vary. So that there's that racial diversity, there's a, a cultural diversity um, that really just that I think sometimes people aren't very familiar with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Elijah? Yeah, um, similar to that. I mean, there, there's a lot of diversity in the African uh, community and the African-American community. And I think for me, having grown up primarily in the States, I think there's a lot of shared experiences that I was able to kind of have with um, some of my African-American friends, as well as um, growing up in a in a household where we primarily spoke Swahili, which is mm. the the language um, in Tanzania. Mm. And we ate uh culturally East African food um, so there there was this sense of inside of the home this kind of uh, uh, holding on to the cultural heritage while also living in a um, larger different culture yeah. outside of the home. Um, so there were a lot of overlaps and shared experiences um, but there's a lot of diversity in East African culture and African culture as a whole and I think sometimes there's this notion that anything sub-saharan African, Is very similar, but there's a a wide variety Mm -hmm. of differences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who grow up in uh,
1: that kind of home have this struggle where they they kind of uh, do more assimilation to the popular culture outside Mm -hmm. their home, but then in the home don't want to be perceived as different from their own family. And so uh, we tend to be bicultural. Yeah. That way, just even within your own family, um, for immigrants, how about you, Sam?
4: Yeah, a lot of the same things uh, they talked about. So, being Chinese, uh, you all know China is the largest country in the world, right? So, it's just really diverse. For instance, in our church, we have uh, people from mainland China, mm-hmm. or people like me who are my family's from Taiwan. Mm-hmm. There's uh, my wife's from mm-hmm. Indonesian. There's Indonesian Chinese. Some people are from Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and they even speak a different language where they speak Cantonese instead of mm-hmm. Mandarin. So, again, just a lot of diversity. Even though all of us who identify as maybe as being Chinese. Mm -hmm. There's still a layer underneath that that many times often people don't know. They just see as being Chinese. And then, again, the second generation, growing up here in the States but being Chinese. Like, when I grew up, before I went to school – I only spoke Chinese at home. Mm -hmm. So, me and all the kids at my church, we had to go to ESL first, Mm. even though we grew up in America because we just didn't know how to speak English Mm. until we started going to school. So, just little things like that and just culturally, again, at home with your parents where everything is in Chinese and then going out and all your friends Mm -hmm. are American Mm -hmm. and you kind of, again, this 1.5 gen, this little pull and tug between which culture growing up. Yeah, so that's kind of where I came from.
1: That's right, yeah. I, I was wondering, you know, you guys have been involved in our conversations on uh, race and diversity, where we have these panels for our mm-hmm. cultural engagement chapels. You've been involved in some of our um, uh, focus groups and things and helping us at the Hendricks Center. Throughout your time, where have you where were you before? Where do you see yourself now? and then what did it take to get there?
3: I'll start with you, Elijah. <laughs> um, I think where I was before um, is um maybe a little naive um and 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 optimistic in the sense that this conversation on diversity and race in particular um could could move a lot faster than i anticipated it to move mm-hmm. um so i think there was a little naivete in that um and i think the journey itself has afforded me kind of the vision to see that like this is such a deep problem and a lot deeper um then maybe I grasped, and and the work to actually move the needle requires a lot more longevity than I anticipated, um, and and that comes with its own frustration. That comes with its own, um, yeah, just hurt and pain at, at the same time. But I I think. Um, Maybe coming in, I was just like, you know what, I-, I think I have an understanding of the depth of the problem. I want to go in and-, and and try to move the needle as fast as possible, as much as possible, and realizing that, like, the work to unravel the layers of um, his- historical biases, um, people's uh, cultural understanding, and-, and their own racial identity uh, awareness is not something that could happen overnight or even mm-hmm. within my time um, working with the Hendrickson. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nancy.
2: Yeah, I think that um, you know, growing in a growing up in a predominantly Hispanic culture, I don't think I was really aware of of kind of the the conversation of diversity outside of a Hispanic context until I went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add to that um, getting married to a man who de- who is a co- of a completely different ethnicity than me, right? So my husband is African American. And then just um, in, in that kind of understanding that I had, um, there were places for me to be able to develop and grow that. In that understanding that other people's experiences, even though there was a shared experience between my husband and myself, um, that really we we are we are affected by different things differently mm-hmm. because of things mm-hmm. like the color of my skin and the color of his skin, um, and then also just uh, connecting. To second and third and fourth generation Hispanics, and and understanding that their experience in this country is very different, and so you end up having conversations within the Hispanic community about what defines you in your, for me, Mexicanness, right, and mm-hmm. and that is connected to things like language and. Mm-hmm. Um, how enculturated you are with your you know your ethnic background and so all of those things really um, become part of the things that form you and they go Mm -hmm. okay I I actually have to learn from your experience which is different from mine Um, so I I think where I've seen the growth is just seeing how understanding how colorism works in the United States which is present in Mexico but really Mm -hmm. different as well in some respects Um, and just just learning the sensitivity that goes with having deep relationships, and I don't think you get much deeper than a marriage relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to share those burdens with someone um, mm. that means that I can't, I can't step away from his burdens. And so that's really grown me to see mm. where I just there were areas that I just had blind spots mm-hmm. just from my husband's experience, yeah. and and vice versa that he has to learn from mine.
1: Well, we're going to come back to that the marriage relationship. That's going to be a, a good topic of conversation a little bit later. But Sam,
4: yeah, uh, I think before I came, I maybe had the sense of pride that I knew what an Asian or Chinese American experience was. Mm -hmm. And as I started uh, just talking to more people, meeting people, even though they were Asian like me, Mm -hmm. I realized just there's so many different experiences, Mm -hmm. so many different struggles that other people had that even though I would have maybe identified with them, I didn't realize, Mm -hmm. and just realizing also a lot of my cultural classes and talking to people, just little things I didn't even know about myself that were part of my culture that I just thought was normal. Mm -hmm. And like one thing I'll just share is, My wife's an international student, and I work a lot with the DTS Chinese program, which is mainly international students. Mm -hmm. And even though they're all Chinese, one thing I realized is just how hard it is for them to come here and do their studies in English, which isn't their first language. Mm -hmm. Because even though I'm Chinese, I grew up speaking English, because I grew up here, so it was never really a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. But I speak Mandarin, and I just think of myself, what if I had to write papers and read theology books in Mandarin? Mm -hmm. I think I could do it, but it would be so much harder, and it would Mm -hmm. probably take me 10 times longer. Mm So it helped me kind of identify, oh, my wife is in the same class as me, but what she's doing is actually way more impressive, or my other Chinese friends are doing this, Mm -hmm. and understanding them, just what they're going through, Mm -hmm. and just imagine trying to learn Greek in a language that you're – in English, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not only learning a new language, but using a language you don't know to learn that language. And just little things like that helped me realize, okay, I need to be more sensitive more loving, like as a TA, be able to show more grace in different mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. Just little things like that that really helps you realize, oh, everyone has different struggles. Everyone has different experiences because everyone has such a diverse background of where they come from. And yeah. just understanding that and not saying, well, we're Chinese, you're not, so therefore we're all on this side, you're on this side. But realizing mm-hmm. even in this context, there is so much diversity mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ever seen that movie Crazy Rich Asians?
4: Oh, yeah, we watched that. It was funny, yeah.
1: <laughs> I like that part where the where the guy was like, and she's Chinese, too, and the mom's like, Chinese American. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah that, I think that movie, obviously, it's a comedy and they exaggerate a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But there's also a lot of little cultural mm-hmm. things that when we watched it, we were like, oh, man, we know exactly That's right. uh, mm-hmm. what yeah. that feels like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, huge respect to my brothers and sisters who in the classroom I see are, are reading a Korean Bible. Mm. Typing on a Korean keyboard yeah. and listening to the prof in English, taking notes in Korean. And I just thought, what are you doing? Wow. And, and mm. you know, it's, a you know, working with the Greek text mm-hmm. as well. It's not easy. Um, no. Yeah. Huge, huge respect for them. Mm. Well, Elijah, let me uh, get a little bit more specific with you in terms sure. of <clears throat> uh, the African-American side of the conversation sure. um, and your time with us here. What have you seen as kind of the major barriers to uh, moving that? needle to the next point, as you say, um, here
3: on campus with what we've done. Sure. I mean, um, I guess before I answer that question, I I do want to clarify. There is an aspect of the African-American experience that I can relate to, but Mm -hmm. uh, my experience is not um, uh, the African-American experience in a lot of ways. I Mm -hmm. I think that um, coming from tanzania and having um the heritage of even my last name something as privileged as knowing um the root of my last Mm -hmm. name and it's not um, linked to any slave owner um, Mm -hmm. i I think that in and of itself is a privilege that i get to walk around even even though i have experienced what life as a black man in america is like Mm -hmm. um so but to answer your question i I i think um what can help move the needle forward. I think so often in this conversation on diversity and racism, especially in Christian uh, evangelical circles, is it is almost a, um, a one-on-one conversation. We, we are constantly going back to introducing or talking about talking about race. How do we present or talk about uh, diversity? Um, and uh, at some point, um, we have to dive in deeper um, because From a historical aspect, there are so many um, aspects, whether it it is um, um, systems of government, systems of politics, systems of the church, systems of education, um, that have been so uh, infiltrated with bias and racism historically in this country that um, to to just talk about um, race as if if we just love each other, everything's going to be fixed. Um, To me, I I think that that does a disservice and almost shows um, someone's understanding of the problem. Because if loving each other is your solution, then I would question what you really think the problem is. Um, So uh, I would encourage people to continue to have the conversation, have it often, and be uncomfortable, continue to be challenged, mm-hmm. um, and and allow yourself to be moved and changed and lament with others, and then come back to the table and do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who's married, it would be naive of me to think that um, I had a conversation with my, li- with my wife mm-hmm. on love. Like I told her I love her, and then that <laughs> should be sufficient yeah. because on the marriage day I said, I love you, you know. Um, But it it is a constant coming back and showing with my actions Mm -hmm. um, the depth and the way in which I love her. Um, And I I think that um, can help us grow deeper, um, and I would encourage others to do the same, even in this conversation, as a way to move forward. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. I think one of the struggles we have is not only we have student turnover – Mm. but we have international students as well. Mm. We have people who are, um, haven't, haven't grown up in, in the South or in, um, haven't grown up in um, the context where these conversations um, have ever taken place, really, or are, are even aware of the problem. Mm. And so I know, like for me, a lot of the, the 101 kinds of discussions, mm. um, while it might be frustrating for people who have um, been in the conversation for a while, were very helpful for me. And so unpack a little bit um, what you what you meant when you said um, I'm not so
3: sure you know what the problem is. Um. Um, sure, uh, yeah. So I, I do agree that there is an aspect of of one on one, and that's with any sort of educational aspect. I mean, uh, uh, we. I mean, are all seminary uh, grads to some extent, and we've all taken Greek. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it would be naive to go through Greek, uh, the first Greek, and learn some of the basic alphabet and languages and elements um, uh, of the language, um, and then just be stuck there. Mm-hmm. Just because you can read, uh, you know, John in Greek, all of a sudden now you understand the Greek language. Okay. I, I think so often in the conversation on race, there is this initial understation uh, understanding. I've read a book. Um, mm-hmm. I've listened to a podcast. And now um, I can take a step back and seem to have this grasp mm-hmm. on the, the conversation of race. And I think that there are so many deep elements um, that – like i said have infiltrated the church i mean the church's involvement with um whether it's slavery segregation um even now uh i think the silence with a lot of um high profile cultural events that are happening still continue to wound Mm -hmm. um african americans and uh, people of color in this country and we have to constantly be asking ourselves what can we be doing Mm -hmm. to um begin to dismantle um, systems of oppression that are continuing to show their themselves even today. Um, a clear example is uh, education. You know, in I think in the '50s, Brown versus Board of Education was passed, um, and um, integration was able to happen between uh, people of color and and um, white people. Um, But now you read sociologists and um, educators and they'll still say that um, now, I mean, decades after the bill was passed where people were allowed to go to school together, Mm -hmm. um, there is still such a divide, almost as close to, if not uh, to the same rate as the 50s now, Mm -hmm. um, where there is a segregation in the education system. Mm -hmm. Um, So you start thinking about um, what we say versus... The reality of the culture that we live in, mm-hmm. um, and and how do our actions continue to perpetuate a a cycle or a system that's continuing to divide us?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for explaining that. Hey, I have a question for you about the uh, um, honor shame thing mm-hmm. we talked about before the podcast, yeah. and how that plays into having difficult conversations about race.
4: I think so. Chinese culture, most Asian cultures are very honor-shame based Mm -hmm. versus this Western mindset, we may have in America more guilt innocence. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not really like you have to be an honor-shame person in order to have conversations with people that are, but just kind of understanding the differences and the main thing for me is understanding why different people value certain things, and whether it's what it's whether why it's not right or wrong, but just different. Mm-hmm. For instance, I'll give you an example. Uh, I just realized this recently, but uh, in. Our culture today, let's say you're going to have a birthday party or you're going to uh, have an anniversary mm-hmm. celebration or something, and you mm-hmm. want to invite a bunch of friends. Mm-hmm. What do we do now? Usually either you create a Facebook group right, and invite all your friends. If it's a little bit more fancy, you may make a good e and uh-huh. send it out, right? Uh-huh. And you send it out, everyone responds, and then you know your list. And this may take you five to ten minutes. You can get back to your day, right? Mm-hmm. If you are in a very traditional honor-shame culture, though, mm-hmm. what you would do is you would – print out or even handwrite write your invitations. Mm-hmm. And then you get in the car and you go drive around the city and you go to people's houses mm-hmm. and you hand them the mm-hmm. invitation. And of course, you can't just hand the invitation and leave. You have to come in, drink some tea, have conversation, mm-hmm. talk to them. Mm-hmm. And eventually after this, this could take two, three days, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what people do is if you're on this side, you think, well, that's just so inefficient. It's such a waste of time. Mm-hmm. But then you don't realize that that side, yeah, you may not be as efficient, Mm -hmm. but you are building these relationships, and that's what's important. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the other side, they may look at you and say, well, yeah, maybe you're saving time, but you're just not really loving those people or being Mm -hmm. in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So again, my whole thing is, it's not really about right and wrong, but just learning to see how people value different things. Mm-hmm. Instead of judging them by saying, well, this way is the correct way, your way is wrong, just saying, oh, I understand why you do things this way. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm not going to do it the same way as you, at least I know why so we can kind of have a conversation. I can, we can start having mm-hmm. conversations mm-hmm. about that. And for me, I've realized that, too, because I realize I'm very Western-minded growing up here. Mm-hmm. And, for instance, I know we're going to talk about this later, later, but my wife is uh, – She grew up in Indonesia. So, again, a lot of different, just little things you realize Mm -hmm. that, again, you have to kind of just understand each other, take the time. Sometimes it struggles. It's not always about I don't want to make mistakes, but when you make mistakes, being able to just have conversations with them. I really like what Elijah said about diversity isn't just about, okay, I got it, now I'm done. Mm -hmm. It's a process. You keep talking to people. You keep meeting people. You learn from what you've done, and if you think you're there, it shows that you're really not there because no matter where you are, you have more and more to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> Nancy.
2: Yeah, I think that there's, um, and and I, I feel like our culture somewhat overlap in some of that shared experience. So, mm-hmm. so even Mexican culture is very sh- honor shame based. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I remember just having conversations with friends where I had to say, if you post, um, you know, your your kids. Theater performance on Facebook, but you don't invite me personally. Mm. That's it doesn't connect with Uh me, Um, and and it's and it takes time, right? To say Mm. like, no, the way that my culture works, and for me to understand that you actually want me present is to get a personal invitation from you, and a really good friend will actually stick it out, right, Mm -hmm. to actually go through that process. Mm. I think also um, part of it has to do with just uh, sometimes we – I'll talk about um, spectrums of um, assimilation and um, uh, cultural identity, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think part of it has to do with understanding that people fall in very different places, right? So you can be um, high identity um, and high high assimilation, low identity, low assimilation, all sorts of things in in between. And to understand really takes – Time and it takes relationship and it takes having those conversations over mm-hmm. and over and understanding that there is no homogeneous experience. Mm-hmm. Right, there is not one experience. Um, part of what what creates more difficulties, I think, especially uh, at least in Hispanic circles, has to do with um, where people are going to fall if the farther you get in the, from the immigrant experience right mm-hmm. so um it, it took me a while to realize you know i i in some ways connect to first generation mexican immigrants more than i do sometimes to um hispanics that are second third fourth generation um in part that's because they they sometimes they'll fall in a different place uh, in in the spectrum of assimilation and identity. Um, and, and that also just within the community mm. can create differences. Um, on campus, part of the thing is mm. representation, right? Mm. Hispanics are not highly represented in um, higher education, much less at the graduate level. Um, and so sometimes our um, kind of our issues or the things that we're struggling with tend to be overseen or overlooked and and it's not by bad intentions, it's just sometimes mm. there's not enough of us, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on and on this campus in particular, you do have that spectrum of people who are second, third, fourth generation and people who are international students. And then there's the biracial aspect for me that I I kind of straddled the line. What happens with a lot of Hispanic Americans is that there is this sense of feeling that we don't where do we fit, right? Mm. Um My experience is a little different because it is from a biracial background. So um, I grew up in Mexico always being just a little too American or too white um, to be fully Mexican. And then I come to the United States, but I'm not quite white enough, Mm -hmm. right? Um, There's something ambiguous about me that people go, "Mm, I don't. I don't know where to do with you. And so what you get a lot in in Hispanic circles is this, like, I don't know where I fit. Mm. Um, And so especially young kids will struggle with that. And that's not necessarily biracial kids, but just into that second, third and fourth generation Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. language begins to to be lost. and, and things like that that can actually complicate the situation, mm-hmm. and especially if you're not aware of the levels. And, um, yeah.
1: What are some of the unique things that biracial people struggle with in, in that community?
2: Yeah, I think, I think the big one does have to do with where do I fit, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, now, I grew up in a... I grew up in a because I grew up in a predominantly Mexican immigrant context. I think there was, to an extent, a sheltering of that that I didn't get until I went to college. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went to college, and then the student um, the student center was almost divided by um, not just race, but by by class. And so mm-hmm. you had like Black Greeks, and then you had non non Greeks, and all of this thing. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of eye opening to me because I didn't realize it um but but that of where do i fit how do i mm-hmm. when i you know when i'm in my family culture we're speaking in spanish we're eating tamales we're mm-hmm. you know doing all these things and then i go into a different family culture for me anyway mm-hmm. right and i remember being a little girl and asking my mother what do white people eat right because <laughs> i grew up eating tacos and enchiladas and all of those things because yeah. my mother kind of um, you know, she she bent towards my father's tastes, and I just remember, like, I'm still kind of in awe of casseroles, because it's just, like, <laughs> the, the most foreign thing to me, and I think they're <laughs> exciting, and I get really happy when people make a casserole, because it's just completely, it actually helps me connect to a part of my yeah. culture that I'm not mm-hmm. super familiar with, but the reality for me, anyway, is that I... The way I put it is I, I wear my mother's privilege on my skin and the fact that I learned English at such a young age that for the most part, unless I'm pretty nervous, I I can I don't have an accent, um, that those things allow me to navigate mm-hmm. the world and I can mm-hmm. actually pick and choose. Whereas the further up you go in my in my family scale, right, my sister is a little darker than me and, and she has an accent and my mm-hmm. brother even more, And and that experience, even though we're all biracial. We get access to different things, and we are privileged to different things because of the way the world sees mm-hmm. us and how much we can pass, if you will, or not. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's really complicated, mm-hmm. um, and it becomes a, a, a wrestling with identity, right? Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I had to come to a place where I said, I get to own my Mexicanness, even if other people don't see it. And for Hispanics, a lot of that is just connected to the stereotype that there is a Mexican look, right? So um, I will still go into conversations where I still hear people say, well, I look like a Mexican. And for people who have grown up in Mexico, there's Mm. a cringing that comes Mm. behind that that goes – that seems to betray a lack of understanding even Mm. within our own experience Mm -hmm. because you go to Mexico and there is not a Mexican look. So that complicates the conversation, and and that's a struggle that I think every Hispanic
0: American has to kind of Mm -hmm. navigate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Well, it's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. And my son is biracial as well. And as we, we talked about and alluded to already, we're all just incidentally happen to be married to people of other races, which is kind of interesting. And uh, we've learned a lot from mm-hmm. those experiences we talked about before. Share a little bit about um, what lessons have come out of that
3: relationship with your spouse. I'll start with Elijah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Man, there's so many, there's so many lessons. I think uh, the, the the main lessons that, that come to mind is, um, yes, I am in an interracial relationship. My my wife is, um, American. She's she's a white, blonde, blue eyed from Houston. Um, so we are total polar opposites, um, in every sense of the word. Um, but I I think one of the things that um is very illuminating is that, um, we can't. Uh, we have to intentionally have conversations similar to what we're having right now. I think just our proximity and the fact that we're married Mm -hmm. doesn't absolve um, any sort of racial bias doesn't absolve any sort of um, lack of understanding when it comes to uh, our diverse experiences. Um, an example I like to use is as a male growing up here in, in America, as a male, like um, I have been socialized as a male, and I bring all of that um, into our marriage. So anytime um, I mansplain, she she lets me know, you know, like, <laughs> and I do that, um, and. Uh, I don't intentionally try to do that, um, but there is patriarchal elements of my upbringing and my understanding of life that I bring into the marriage that because she lovingly walks with me on Mm -hmm. it, we begin to kind of tear down some of those um, sexist ideas or anything like that. Um, And and I say the same thing with race, even in our marriage. Um, uh, There are so many elements that she's never had to wrestle with or perspectives that she's never had to view. and a way of loving her um, and us growing together is to have intentional conversations Mm -hmm. um, when she steps in it or when we um, are not seeing eye to eye on a particular issue or when we are looking at the same thing like a news outlet Mm -hmm. and we're interpreting it and receiving it Mm -hmm. totally different based off of our experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are friends that I know who are in interracial relationships who never have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I do want to say that just because we're in an interracial relationship doesn't mean that somehow we are dismantling systems of oppression or racism or anything i I think it requires consistent work of of intentionally having um these conversations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nancy.
2: yeah, and you know just adding to that point there's um there's this idea that, like, because we're in this multiracial relationship, maybe that you can't hurt each other mm-hmm. in cultural ways, and um, and sometimes it just happens. You are comfortable. You there is a freedom and there's a safety to express things. Mm-hmm. But there have been times where my husband has said something, and I've been like, "That's <laughs> mm-hmm. not okay." Um, and and vice versa. I think for me, the biggest thing, um, even just we've we've only been married about five years, um, but. Um, I, we had a friend over, one of my uh, good girlfriends, and she's African-American, my husband is African-American, and we had dinner, and of course as a PhD student, all roads lead to homework, so eventually <laughs> I had to excuse myself and, and go into another room and do some homework, and they just stayed and visited in the living room. And I could hear them um, talking and laughing about um, TV shows um, that they, they grew up watching, uh, where sometimes I have to say, I grew up watching completely different Mm -hmm. shows than you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in that moment what really impressed me was the fact that my husband, in choosing to marry outside of his ethnic group, there was sacrifice in that, Mm -hmm. right? That there was a shared experience that I'm never going to have with him and really just appreciating that. And and it's it's mutual, right? It's taken a lot for my husband to learn how to eat the food as spicy as I make it, for example. <laughs> um, um and and the fact that like I can sit down and watch shows with him that he grew up watching and he he can try, but all of the shows I grew up watching are in Spanish and mm-hmm. he doesn't speak Spanish. And there is this mutual mm. sacrifice that I think you're right, Elijah. It it's not automatic. Mm. I think that part of it for me has come from growing up in a multicultural kind of environment, mm-hmm. uh, in a biracial environment. But also it, it's just taking that commitment further and still having um, occasions when when you just wake up to the reality of how different you are and how much that can cost. So. Um, I remember the first time um, I was in the car with my husband, and we were stopped at a traffic light uh, or a, at a stop sign, and there were police cars. and And I was, I, I was like, "Oh my goodness, they're looking for someone." What they were looking for was expired registration stickers, which, of course, ours was expired. Mm-hmm. And I, and I thought, "Oh great, this, you know, what a bother." And then I turned to look at my husband, who is like six foot three and a big football player kind of guy, mm-hmm. and he is frozen you know just mm. from fear mm. and to realize that there are things that I don't worry about because I'm fair and I'm white and there I don't have to worry about them mm. that are a reality for him um, and just things like that that I think come come with being married to someone and just being aware but even then it it takes time Mm -hmm. and I didn't see it. And Mm -hmm. so to have the eyes to see and the heart to feel Mm -hmm. when those things come up, I think it's just, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a blessing and it's also a challenge.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sam, share with us a little bit about your lessons that you've learned.
4: Yeah, so for me and my wife, I'll share a little bit about the cultural differences Mm -hmm. too. Uh, In one of our World Missions classes here at DTS, you do this, uh, I don't know if y'all did it, it's called the Lingenfilter Cultural Quiz where it's like a personality inventory, but instead of for personality, it's like your culture. Hmm. And so we did that test together, and every single one of the ones I had, but one I was very Western-minded, and there was one I was very Eastern-minded. For her, it was the exact opposite. She was Eastern-minded in every single one, but the one that I was Uh Eastern-minded, she actually was (laughs) Western-minded. So we kind of, and then in terms of personality inventory, you guys know the Mm Myers-Briggs. So I'm an ISTJ, she's an ENFP. So literally, we're opposites on everyone. Mm -hmm. So not only do we come from different cultures Mm -hmm. and have different cultural values, personality-wise, just in general, we're very different. Mm -hmm. So we found... Communication is so important in our marriage. When we were engaged, especially in the while we were planning our wedding and doing all these stuff, you have a lot of decisions to make, and it's the first time you're really making life choices together, we found there was a lot of conflict at first. Hmm. And because we just thought about things differently, we would, like you said, you would see exact same thing and literally think completely opposite ideas. But one thing I found is as you communicate, as you learn, to resolve through conflicts, it really has helped, I think, both of us mm-hmm. not only understand and love each other better, mm-hmm. but also help in our conversations with other people. My wife, she was a counseling mm-hmm. emphasis in her THM. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of counseling at our church, marital and things. And she's able to share a lot of the experiences we've been through and help other couples. Mm-hmm. And things like that we found was just very beneficial. And like Nancy said, it takes sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? It's not easy. You have to give something up for yourself and they have to give something up too i realize she gives a lot up for me and vice versa we we speak different languages right when she is on the phone talking to her family i don't understand what she's saying but i realize she's talking to me in english it's not her natural language mm-hmm. and different things one of the things i realized too as being married to her is how i take for granted because i was born in the u.s i have a u.s passport Mm-hmm. And there are just so many little things I never knew mm-hmm. because she doesn't have a U.S. passport with visas, even with renewing documents that she had to struggle through that I was just like, oh, I just went online and clicked the button and it was done. Mm-hmm. And she always gets mad at me. She's like, you don't understand what we've been through. But it's only in this relationship now I realize, oh, this is what other people have to go through too. And one thing I realize is, Because we're married, obviously, we're willing to sacrifice for each other we love each Mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. But in the broader context of diversity, I think it's good for us to realize that no matter what relationship you have Mm -hmm. with someone, there is a level of sacrifice. Maybe Mm -hmm. not in the extent of a marriage, Mm -hmm. but like you said, if you want to get to know someone, you can't just say, I want to be exactly the way I am and not give up anything, but have a mm-hmm. intimate relationship with you. There's going to be mm-hmm. this push and pull. That's right. And that's okay. And it's okay to struggle with that. But realizing that I think will be a big step toward mm-hmm. trying to engage in these diverse... Diversity talks and being able to understand better. Mm-hmm,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, opposites mm-hmm. attract, right? Yeah. Well, that's what that's I what said. That's they
4: said, so <laughs> I guess it's true, yeah.
1: Especially for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, yes, there is an element of sacrifice we have to recognize in any relationship mm-hmm. where you're working with somebody um, from a, a different culture, a different race, different background than you. Um, but the more you love that person, Um, it's not like it doesn't become a sacrifice, Mm -hmm. but the sacrifice is a little easier. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's more worth it, I think. Right, and same in the marriage as well. Um, I'll tell this quick story. I was in the Philippines as a missionary with my wife. Uh, My wife's a white woman. And um, there was a guy in our village who came into the house once and kind of pulled me aside when he saw my wife. And he's like, so, in the Filipino language, he says, it can work then. I was like, (laughs) what can work? He's like, that, you know, our culture's, we can get married and our cultures can work together. I said, well, yeah, it, it depends what you like, I said. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, if it's a super high value for you to have rice for every meal, it might not work that well. And he's like, oh, really? Never mind. Then. <laughs>
4: Yeah. <laughs> so, Food, too. That's yeah. a big yeah. difference yes, in cultures. Right. Yeah. 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 But
1: at least in, in our family, like, I actually like the culture that we've built together because it's our culture. Mm-hmm. It's not like my wife's family. It's not like my family growing up. It's something different, but it's mm-hmm. something that's unique that we made together. Mm-hmm. And I think in every relationship, we have that kind of thing. Whether it's um, whether it's a marriage or just a close relationship with a friend, you have this th- these two cultures coming together. Mm-hmm. There's give and take. There's a little sacrifice. But there's, there's that love there that makes that sacrifice worth it mm-hmm. yeah. for the relationship. Well, to some extent we've all known what it's like to be to have some kind of immigrant experience mm. to be the odd person out. What can we do to help um include people who might be on the margins in, in our churches, in our even in our seminary, in our society? Who wants to go that one? So yeah.
2: I think part of it is just um being seen as as a person on the margins. So um for me, for example, I was at Sam's returning something the mm-hmm. other day, and the lady in front of me, um, she, she, it was her turn to come up with the cashier or the uh, service person, and. Um, and she started looking around because she was like, I can't speak English, right? So she was looking for someone mm-hmm. to help her. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, um, like for me, I, because I speak Spanish, it's my first language, being able to step in and say, hey, I see you, can I help you? Mm-hmm. And also asking, right? Can mm-hmm. I help you is it, rather than just assuming and, and coming in. But I think part of that really just has to do with being seen to say, I I notice you, I see you there. And um, that's, that's a part of recognizing just our humanity in each mm-hmm other that I think can go a really long way. And I understand not everybody speaks another language that can just step in and help in that particular way, but even sometimes um, doing what you can in terms of trying to help be that bridge of communication that kind of brings, especially in a Mm shame-honor context that you go, this doesn't have to be a shameful experience for you, I think can really communicate a lot of care.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Elijah. I mean, I I think there's an element of um, respecting others enough to try to learn as much as you can Mm -hmm. um, about them. Um, I know that. In, in our society, political correctness tends to get a bad rap and people just don't want to be PC, but I, I think at the root of political correctness, there is a sense to want to respect somebody enough to uh, honor their wishes and their their desires or care about um, what would hurt their feelings. So. Um, From a core standpoint, I I think one thing that we could be doing is a learning um, more about um, different people's uh, backgrounds and um, their histories Mm -hmm. and um, their worldview um, and not kind of prioritizing ours as the worldview to have. Mm -hmm. So instead of. uh, Encouraging people to assimilate to our way of thinking or our way of living or uh, majority culture's way of viewing the world, uh, maybe taking a step back and trying to understand how other people may view the world mm-hmm. very differently from you. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Putting yourself in someone else's shoes, that's mm-hmm. real important for any difficult conversation. Definitely. Whether it's about multiculturalism or race or even just talking to someone from a different religion. Mm-hmm. Sam, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I think. One thing is just having conversations, kind of just like what we're doing uh, for the Chinese program Mm -hmm. here at DTS next semester. We're actually running an all-day seminar, Hmm. and the topic is bridging gaps between first and second generation Chinese Americans, Mm -hmm. because that's one of the big issues we see in churches Mm -hmm. here in America, where you have, for instance, the parents may be uh, from mainland China or first-generation immigrants, while the Mm -hmm. children are now growing up in an American culture and there's just this huge gap and a lot of times we don't know what to do with it and then the easy solution is just okay let's have uh, one congregation on this side and one congregation on this side and even though we're still one church we almost operate like two different churches Mm -hmm. so I don't have like an easy solution of oh you do these three steps and suddenly everything is fixed Mm -hmm. I think obviously the fact we're doing this shows that's not the case but just having these conversations being able to talk about it one thing I also wanted to mention uh, Nancy brought it up a little but it's a talking about comfort zone. Mm-hmm. For instance, I'm an Asian-American, right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm with uh, first-generation Chinese people, I get along with them, but in the end, I'm still not completely them. I'm not China. I'm more American, yeah. right? But if I'm with just like white people or normal Americans, I'm, I can get along with them culturally too, but I'm still Chinese, right? So for me, I found I like to hang out. A lot of my friends are just... Asian Americans like me mm-hmm. because we understand each other, we're comfortable. And I think that's true for everyone, right? I don't think we should feel guilty for enjoying being with people that mm-hmm. understand us, right? But the problem is when we only do that and we refuse to try to get to know other people mm-hmm. because there is going to be a way, a step out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. but just talking through it, putting it, no one is saying we have to all just completely not ever, like I'm not saying, Nancy, you can never talk to any other person from your background. You have to go talk to everyone else. No, it's you have your community, but also be willing to step outside occasionally. Mm -hmm. Be willing Mm -hmm. to do some things. And as you do that, you'll realize, oh, there's a world out there of so many things that you can learn that would be good for you too. So for instance, little seminars like that, conversations like this, just going and talking to someone you see on campus Mm -hmm. that you may not usually approach, whether you're sitting next to them in class. These are just small steps, I think, that can help get it along to Mm -hmm. hopefully Mm -hmm. more and more, yeah.
1: Yeah, My wife and I used to do refugee ministry in Orange County with Vietnamese refugees and we would help them with things just like reading the mail or filling out the FAFSA, Mm -hmm. helping their parents figure out how how the systems uh, work to get their kids uh, get set up in school and things like that. And I think there's a, a, a spectrum where you have assimilation on one side and you have inclusion on the other side. So inclusion where you accept people as they are assimilation where people have to change a little bit of who they are to, to fit into a popular kind of culture. And on that spectrum, people fall in different places mm-hmm. with their level of assimilation, their level of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that we can begin to help uh, include people a little bit more in...
2: Mikkel, can I actually, before we move on from the immigrant conversation, Mm -hmm. because I really wanted to... um, I I think part of it also is understanding there's not an immigrant... There's not one immigrant
0: experience, right? Mm -hmm. right?
2: Um, So there there are... undocumented immigrants, there are documented immigrants, there are uh, refugees, which is a completely different kind Mm -hmm. of situation. Mm -hmm. And I think educating yourself, not only culturally with somebody else's culture, but also just educating yourself on immigration law in the United States and what those realities actually look like, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I remember going to a dinner party and somebody asked me where I was from and I said I was born in Mexico and I have never Killed conversation so quickly hmm. um, because the reality is they had one idea of immigration, especially where we are in our country yeah. right now. That says, yeah. "Okay, but, but how are you here?" And I thought <laughs> I've never been so suspect at a party <laughs> ever. And then I had to explain how I was born an American citizen and I and I'm here because my you know my mother was a missionary and all of these things and um and that just comes from a lack of of understanding that mm. the immigrant experience is is just as diverse as everything else. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just kind of wanted to add that, that there are various experiences. Mm. And, and being able to connect with people and serve the immigrant community, I think part of that has to understand what does immigration look like. Um, and it's hard to weed out the, the facts and fake news and all of this. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but to kind of educate yourself on that point. Sorry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. well, this is something that the church has really been wrestling with from the very beginning, yeah. Mm I mean, we think about Galatians 2, you have uh, Peter was eating with these Gentiles they are just hanging out eating, and then he withdraws from them when these these other Jewish people come because he's afraid of something, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we let fear, um, political correctness, whatever, kind of get in the way of, oh, no, this might be perceived a different way. I might offend people. and and make us withdraw from those who are different than us. Mm-hmm. But um, in the church, I don't I don't think fear should rob us of the joy of having the body of Christ be obviously made up of different people. Mm-hmm. You know. So in terms of inclusion, um, what I was what I was thinking about is in the church and in in individual um, relationships that we have. How can we keep in mind um, steering our interaction more towards inclusion um, from that assimilation point where we help people. Uh, feel like they can still be themselves and yet include them a little bit more. How do you navigate that in your relationships?
4: Yeah, I think, first of all, I think you're right. It's not always about saying, oh, you're here in America. You need to be just like us. Mm -hmm. Like one thing, just a little thing I realized is uh, I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm very proud to be an American citizen, Mm -hmm. but I realized Not everyone, people are proud of their countries they're from too. Mm -hmm. Just because people come here to study doesn't mean, oh, their dream would be to be an American citizen and just Mm -hmm. be like us. Some people, yeah, but other people, not. So just realizing, okay, just because we have certain privileges we're proud of, other people are proud of their culture, Mm -hmm. their backgrounds. And it's okay that we're proud of our uh, backgrounds too, but not having this ethnocentrism to think, oh, somehow we're just better because. Mm I was somehow born here. And I think little things like that can help us just start realizing, okay, yeah, there's things you need to learn about living here in the States. For instance, an international student coming to live in Dallas that we can help you with. But that doesn't mean giving up all of the mm-hmm. different traditions you have mm-hmm. to. You mentioned uh, how you help the refugees in Orange County. So we have a uh, something where uh, our church in Dallas is right next to uh, UT Dallas, which has a lot of international students. Mm-hmm. So we'll invite them over, especially when they first come over. And we'll do these uh, classes. And it's not really even, we're not really sharing the gospel here. We're just teaching them, for instance, okay, this is Walmart. Mm -hmm. This is where you get this. Okay, Mm -hmm. Or this is how you open up, get a credit card or open up a bank. Just little Mm -hmm. things like that to help. And obviously, some of the things they may know, some of the things may be new to them. But just teaching them and letting them kind of pick and choose, okay, this is something I need. This is for me. Mm -hmm. But... uh, and then as you talk, you realize, okay, yeah, they're going to learn how to live here, mm-hmm. but they're also going to hold on to some of their culture too, and yeah. that's okay. So again, n- navigating that spectral spectrum, realizing there's not one answer that this is the right point. Mm-hmm. It's everyone gets to decide, and being open enough to first ask people, what do you think, instead of telling them mm-hmm. your idea. You I think one thing we always do is we're really scared to make mistakes. And yeah, we should try to be nice and obviously not offend people, but Mm -hmm. we also need to realize when we say things, like for instance, if someone says something to me that may be a little offensive, I'm not just going to be like, you're a horrible person, I'm never talking to you Mm -hmm. again. Like most people are nice enough to hopefully tell you, but as long as I know you care about me Mm -hmm. and you're actually interested instead of just trying to be a stereotype, oh, I need to be polite to this person. Mm -hmm. So as you develop those relationships, I think you'll just learn naturally and Mm -hmm. be able, hopefully, to gain some things you may not even be aware of, but just have it as you start meeting people with different backgrounds, yeah. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. <clears throat> Elijah, what do you think? I think most people enjoy the word inclusion, mm-hmm. but inclusion, like what we're talking about, uh, it requires sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So my question always ends up being who's at the table, no matter what uh, organization or what system you're at, whether it's education, whether it's in the church in the context that we're talking about, who who's invited to the table to actually be a part of the decision making Um, and actually pour into the leadership or Mm. the people um, who are influencing others in the church. Um, And uh, then that comes into the question of um, not only who, but with assimilation, I think sometimes diversity kind of gets this. uh, We want people who sound, look, talk like us. Uh, I'm sorry, who – sound like us and maybe say the things we want but look a little little different. different. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that to me has, at least in my perspective, been the model of Mm -hmm. diversity. So Mm -hmm. it's not truly a diverse perspective, it's just a um, a, a person of color Mm -hmm. um, who's espousing some of the same ideals or worldview of majority culture. So I would always challenge people, if you truly want inclusion, what does that actually mean? How Mm -hmm. do you bring diverse perspectives um, onto the table and then how do you actually humble yourself and actually sit and listen to those perspectives so you can make change mm-hmm. um, that would um, challenge your, your church or your organization or your nonprofit or whatever ministry you're involved. Mm-hmm. Nancy?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say something similar. That When it comes to inclusion, I think we have to nuance that and say, what do, What are we actually talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is this push that says diversity looks like people of Different colors who look differently but are getting up there and kind of following the same, which is just another kind of assimilation, actually.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, um, I think the thing about uh, about cultural diversity, right? That um, has freedom of expression. I think that. I mean, it's hard. Right. And it's and I think getting to a place like that can be really painful Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes um, and I think it takes the people who are in power, who are at the table, uh, not only to welcome people in to to speak, but to actually be willing to then follow all of that talk with action Mm -hmm. that says, what does this look like in the church? I mean that that can look like different kind of sermon styles, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly in cultures that are very um, story based, mm-hmm. right? We want we want more than just propositional statements, mm-hmm. um, and also um, even something like worship style they can mm-hmm. they can come back into it. And we're not just talking about um, modern verse versus uh, you know hymns or anything like that. We're talking about the actual um, expression in worship, right? Like I think. I haven't clapped in church probably since I came to DTS, and I still find myself going, oh, wait, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe I should. Maybe I need to be the person in church that says, actually, part of my worship expression is that I clap when we're singing, mm-hmm. and, um, and that doesn't feel awkward to me. Um, but when you're outnumbered, <laughs> right, it can be kind of hard. Um, there's this um, kind of statistic. I, I haven't quite figured out where it comes from, and I'm still on a search. It says a multicultural church uh, falls into an 80-20 split, right? 80, 80%, no more than 80% of any one culture and then 20% other that, that is considered multicultural. Um, what happens is if you fall in the 20%, you, you don't feel very multicultural mm-hmm. right and I think um, and I, th- I think getting to a place where we understand that inclusion um, is more than a, a numerical value mm-hmm. um, that that does come with expression and sometimes that's having being willing to to have the difficult conversations right so I can think of conversations at church where I've said mm-hmm. but I' I'm, I'm just acting out of my cultural experience, and I've had to listen to people say, mm-hmm. I didn't know that, and and then to pick up in that difficult place and go, okay, so how do we navigate this if, I, um, if what I want to do is be more than just a number of someone who looks ambiguously not white mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yet want to ex- be able to express um, my worship of God and my experience in the church in a way that connects to my Mexican culture. Um, it's just, it's not easy, and I think having leaders that are willing to step into those difficult situations and to be able to be humble enough to say there might be another way of doing it, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, I mean, I think I think that there's a lot of churches that want to to get there, and they're in a different spectrum of how ready they are to make those moves. Mm. And I understand when you when you are trying to. Um, Press into a minority culture, and and that upsets the majority culture, and it's just, it's difficult. So I think it takes courage and mm-hmm. it takes vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it takes more than just presence, right? Mm-hmm. To be truly mm-hmm. inclusive, takes more than just allowing you to come and do the things that we do, but letting you do your thing and lead us in
3: that mm-hmm. direction. Mm-hmm. And just to yeah. piggyback off of that, I mean, I I, I think. Um, what Nancy's getting at is um, the how, and that that's kind of what I've been thinking, is how you also um, do diversity is mm-hmm. very important. Um, and, uh, you know, in the educational context, um, I-, I think so often um, people of color's voices are not represented, so you only get one perspective of maybe reading the text or understanding pr- particular scriptures, um, and same thing with uh, – preaching and and church context and I think once you begin to kind of navigate how um, and what am I reading who am I uh, studying under how am I also including their perspective into um, what I know I I think you can begin to create a foundation um, in your church so when people of color actually come there, there you are more prepared and equipped for people of diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. um, to get there. Um, and I think so often in the inclusion diversity conversation, it's let's invite people of color in and then let them teach us how to um, be more inclusive, um, and that can sometimes be met with suspicion or pain um, because those people are like the guinea pigs. Mm. Um, how, how much can I drain out of you rather than um, how much can I truly learn and, and build into my staff or my leadership so that way I'm preparing our church mm-hmm. for people of color and and to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can't
1: be a kind of paternalism no, that, no. that goes in that. It has to be a mutual conversation. Most definitely. And so, in the body of Christ, we're talking about in the church, certainly we have unity under Christ. And going back to Galatians 2, any kind of breaking of that unity isn't in step with the gospel. And so, I think one thing that's come out of our conversation is that there's a unity under Christ. There's a unity that is not um, characterized by sameness and that. All relationships are going to take sacrifice, but the more that we love each other, the more that we love the Lord, especially in the church, that we, we need to be the, that that outpost of the kingdom of God here on earth so people can look from the outside in and say, here's the difference that Christ makes in the church, especially when it comes to difficult conversations like this. So, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thank you, Elijah. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. And thank you for joining us on the table. Once again, we hope you will join us next week here on The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture.
0: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.